0: Welcome to Raising OKC Kids, Conversations with Metro Family in Oklahoma City. I'm Erin Page, and today I am joined by Dr. Robin Hanley-Defoe, who is here to talk about fighting perfectionism and encouraging resilience in our children. Welcome, Dr. Robin. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for having
1: me, Erin. I'm excited to be here today.
0: I am excited for the opportunity to learn from you today. And before we get started, I want to tell our listeners a bit more about you. Dr. Robin is a resilience expert, author, speaker, mom, and multi-award winning education and psychology instructor. Dr. Robin has more than 16 years of university teaching and research experience. She's the author of Calm Within the Storm, A Pathway to Everyday Resiliency. And as a recovering perfectionist myself, one of the things that most caught my attention about Dr. Robin is your philosophy that we should be teaching our kids to strive for B pluses. So let's start there. I understand this philosophy came about for you in response to a situation with your own son at school. Tell us more about how that situation framed this philosophy for you.
1: Absolutely, Erin, I'm happy to. So one of the things that I found as a scholar who also happened to be a parent is that I was always navigating between these two lanes, understanding childhood development, understanding human resiliency, and also kind of stick handling the fields of education. And one of the things that I came upon pretty early in my parenting role was recognizing that sometimes there's this disconnect. And what I mean by that is in my heart, I felt as though I wanted to set my child up for optimal success. Right, things that the outside world, there's pressure that we wanna make sure our children are well equipped, that they are the top of their class, for example, that they have all the skills and talents they need to be successful. And in my role as a resiliency scholar, I appreciated the power of failure, understanding that sometimes those smaller challenges and setbacks when they're little actually equip them better for like the real world, that grown up world when there's many different challenges and stressors that we face. So I found that I was in that kind of tug of war between wanting to make sure my child was totally okay and didn't have any setbacks because I wanted to create a smooth experience for them, but also recognizing that challenge and managing stress is part of the learning curve. So one of the things that I kind of explored was I looked into where do we start to hit high levels of life satisfaction? Okay. So Aaron, I was really curious about, okay, so who at the end of the day are the most kind of well-rounded, grounded, steady, positive members of society, like the people we want to be in our circles, like who are those people? And one of the consistent findings I kept coming upon when I was working with these folks folks, Aaron, is that they were all B plus students in high school. They were all B plus students in, you know, in college and trades and university. And I thought that was so interesting because if my goal for my children are that they're healthy and grounded and steady and good citizens, and, you know, those children who are well-equipped, recognizing that being at the top of your class, A plus perfectionism, isn't necessarily the only path to get there.
0: Ooh, that is so interesting. I love that. Okay. Thanks for setting the stage for us. Mm -hmm. So what does it look like then for us as parents to teach our kids that philosophy about striving for the B plus and fitting into that? What does that look like in terms of redefining success to really focus on their effort and what they learn along the way?
1: Yeah, Erin, you're asking a really great question. And again, from a, again, boots on the ground, it's pretty hard to send your children out in the morning into the school community and say like, try, but don't try too hard, right? Like try to hit that B plus, but don't, don't push yourself too hard. So what that really starts to think about is this idea of well-roundedness. So the idea that it's okay that we have multiple components of our identity. And what I mean by that is like, yeah, we're competent in school we put in the effort, we complete tasks, we show good work practices. And we're also a good friend, we make time for our friends, we make time for extracurriculars. And it's not that we overschedule the child so that they're like, you know, have this sprawl in every life area. But it's to recognize, you know, we can learn a lot of things outside of the classroom as well. We can learn that through dance, through music lessons, through art, we can learn it through sports, extracurriculars in those forms. So it's recognizing that to be able to have that well roundedness is really what we're looking for.
0: Oh, I love that. That's so great. Um, So kind of in our everyday conversations with our kids, especially as they're getting older, maybe into that middle school, high school age, where maybe they're putting the pressure on themselves. How can we kind of redirect them and remind them of those other important pieces of who they are?
1: Yeah, and I appreciate this is so, um, this is like such a real issue, um, especially as, for example, as a parent. So, our children are 18, 16, and 14. And, you know, last year when our 18 year old was exploring post secondary, like looking at colleges and universities, your grades do matter. So, all of a sudden, kind of we've been from that place of like being a bit more flexible and a bit more easygoing, having a bit of nimbleness when it comes to like how we define ourselves by our academics to all of a sudden being like, oh my goodness, you need certain grades and certain courses to be able to get into school, right? So I appreciate that this is a real world implication. And in that idea, I think what's really important is to recognize that there's enough opportunity and there's enough schools and there's enough programs of interest and study that I believe if it's meant for you, you're gonna find your way into that program. So I think sometimes people chase this like one program that requires this particular grade point average or score to be able to get into, But it's again, having what we call cognitive nimbleness or like flexible thinking to recognize there's going to be a place for you somewhere, right? So there's going to be an opportunity for you to continue your education, but again, not putting ourselves in these like really tight, constricted areas where there's only one possible outcome, giving ourselves a wee bit of variety is going to help with that.
0: Mm, That's so great. Um, So we we live in this culture right now of perfectionism. I'm seeing this already with my kids. Um, This is a hard characteristic for me personally to fight as I mentioned. And we know some of this culture stems from lots of testing in our schools for our students, teachers feeling obligated to teach to those tests. One of the things that, that you shared with me earlier is that three out of 10 kids right now can be classified as maladaptive perfectionists. Mm -hmm. So first of all, tell us what does this mean and what are the implications for our kids and our families?
1: Yeah. So I think what happens a lot for us, and again, it can be very triggering for us as parents when we navigate some of those pulls toward perfectionism and we start to see some of those behaviors in our children. Like it can actually be a wee bit unsettling because we know how much pressure there is within that. We know what that feels like to never feel like you're enough, to never feel as though you know you have enough things under your control or you're doing a good enough job. So we don't want to see that within our children. So again, just to hold space for parents and caregivers and supporters. It's very triggering when all of a sudden, you know, you see your child in middle school in tears because they got a 95 on a project <laughs> because we don't want, like, we don't want that for our children. So I think the first conversation point is just kind of reframing, as you said earlier, Aaron, what does success look like to us? And one of the things that I talk a lot to my children about and children that I work with is this idea that success needs to be something that's we're defining that's within our control. So that means effort. It means preparation. It means concentration. It means like, did I do everything within the realm and scope that I can do to show up, to do a best effort, to be able to do that. And if at the end of the day, you can sign off saying, Hey, I did all the things that I needed to do and that's the outcome and that's okay. So we have that sense that we did what was within our control because especially in education, there's always going to be additional variables and there's a lot of subjectivity. So being able to know what it is kind of for me, the other, big piece that I would bring to your attention too and I'm working with is around a lot of the children I see are starting to really struggle with like anxiety around school especially around like test taking, examinations, culminating tasks and you know for one of our children they navigate some pretty big waves of anxiety around assessment, around testing, and they would know all the things, but they would get into the situation, Aaron, and then it would just kind of collapse. It would escape them. So one of the new goals of what success looked like for our daughter when she was test taking is whether or not she could have fun in the process. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is going into that assessment, it was like, okay, so I want you to just go in there, think of it a test as a celebration of what you know, right? So go in there, have a little bit of fun with it, stay loose and relaxed. Let's just see what comes of it. This will not make or break your future. It's one snapshot in time from one subjective test. And let's see how that goes. And what was so fascinating to watch unfold, Aaron, is as soon as we made the goal of success, having fun in the assessment, while everyone else was freaking out, you can hold that sense of calm and joy and like even merriments. I'm doing the best I can. This is, you know, my mom's still gonna love me whether I bomb it or I'm doing well on it. Uh, what we actually noticed is it alleviated the anxiety enough for her that she was able to have what we call recall, where she actually could remember what she wanted to be able to share because she took that pressure off herself. So again, those little strategies, they're not really radical, but they're very practical where the student will start to feel better. And when they feel better, they're gonna do better. They're gonna learn better. They're gonna remember better. They're gonna feel better about their overall uh, capacity to do school.
0: I love that. A celebration of what you have learned this yeah. far. I I'm, can already tell you I'll be using that with each of my <laughs> three kids. <laughs> um, and I do feel like that message as parents to our kids that this is just a snapshot in time. I yeah. love you no matter how you do on this test. I want you to give your best effort, but at the end of the day, this mm-hmm. is just one test. It's yeah. just one moment. Um, So we really do have a lot of power as parents in in the words that we're choosing to use with our kids, because then it seems that's what becomes the ongoing message in their own minds as they sit down to take that test. Yes.
1: And what I often share with uh, families, Erin, is we have so much power as caregivers and parents and supporters, because how we talk to our children will become their inner dialogue how we talk to our children when they're young is how they're going to talk to themselves as they grow up. So what I want to make sure, and again, I do my best effort as a mom. I don't get it right all the time. Of course, um, that's not even realistic to think I can get it right all the time. But what I am confident is the internal dialogue that I see our teenagers starting to hold is actually giving themselves a little bit of wiggle room, a little bit of grace, even to just, Hey, you know what? I don't have to win every one. You know, I know what matters most. I know what my values are. I know who I am. I know what my character are, like who, what my character and the things that I believe in. And I've seen our children as they've aged and gone into high school. And again, even exploring post-secondary, that they're carrying that little bit of that less of pressure. And the story I shared with you earlier, I'd love to just capture for your listeners is, you know, I recall one of my little, I have I have two boys and a daughter. And uh, I remember one of the boys got an assignment back. And the teacher had said to uh, my son that uh, if you would, you know, you got to be plus, right which is decent but you could have tried harder you could have worked harder and this could have been an a and jack's kind of paused and looked at the teacher and said oh no we only do b pluses in our house i don't want an a this is what my mom wants and it started this amazing dialogue where the teacher is like what kind of mom only wants her kid to be b plus uh and he's like i don't know my mom studies like human resiliency and apparently failure is part of my childhood um so You know, these are the things where those inner dialogues are going to make a big difference, especially in critical moments, because I think so often our children have these like critical moments as they're developing and learning and growing where it's like, okay, this is either going to like work for my good, or this might do some harm if I don't navigate this situation carefully. And it's not just thinking about what we go through, but what we grow through and that idea of like not wasting a mistake. And that's something I talk to my children a lot about is we don't, we make mistakes 100%, but we won't waste them. We're going to unpack it. We're going to explore it. We're going to figure out how could we show up differently next time. So again, those are some of those principles that I think make a big difference, especially in this day and age.
0: I feel like your son might have a future in following his mother's (laughs) footsteps. That's so powerful. And it's so refreshing to me as a mom of younger kids to hear you say how this philosophy is now shaping your older kids. Mm -hmm. You know, that whether, you know, we start with young kids or whether we start today with our older kids, that this really can have a lifelong impact on how they feel about themselves and their version of success out in the world. Yeah. It's also really powerful to me to hear how the teacher reacted. And I know that I've had such great success with teachers and my kids' lives of kind of talking through, my kids get testing anxiety and here's yes. how they're feeling about this upcoming test. Here's what yes. we're saying to them at home. and. Every time their teachers are so willing to mm-hmm. kind of help provide that same message for my kids at school, which is just—it's wonderful to have that sense of teamwork with mm-hmm. your kids' teachers.
1: Absolutely, and again, I think so often um, you're absolutely right that the, at the end of the day, I truly wholeheartedly believe that are uh, the people who go into education are the people who care deeply about learning. Deep- about community and they want to be part of kids share to help give them that kind of insight that critical insight to know how can I show up and support your, your child or in this moment like that is so extremely powerful to have that that conversation and that respectful dialogue about like we're in this together and we collaborative you know we're going to be collaborative about how we support our learner here and everyone learns differently right even and as I said I've been teaching now for almost 20 years there's no no two trajectories that are exactly the same people's learning is very very different and again one of the things we often talk about is that you know if we always get things right Again, we're not really having this opportunity to learn about our skills and our talents and even our gifts. It's sometimes actually through error detection. It's actually sometimes through those setbacks, through those challenges, where we really start to learn about ourselves, about where we want to put our energy and our focus, where we can really be members that contribute, whether it be our family system to our school community. It's sometimes in those little bumpy seasons that we learn the most about who we are and what we're all about.
0: It's a great thing for parents to remember and for us to be able to pass on to our Mm -hmm. kids. Let's talk about work-life balance. I know this is a huge piece of what parents, especially moms, are hearing all the time, but you believe this is such an important part of resiliency that we should actually be teaching it to our kids now before they're grown-ups. So I'm guessing that First, to teach this to our kids, we have to do a better job of modeling this for them as parents. So how can we better incorporate this philosophy in our families of work-life balance?
1: Yeah, and I think even just kind of that idea about work-life balance sometimes gets like it's a little bit of, um you know, we're setting ourselves up for failure. I mean that by saying it's it's really life with work integration, right? How do we get all of these parts moving in such a way that we still have the spaciousness that we can get the work done, of course, because that matters. And we can also be well in the process, because I think so often what happens is we get really kind of singular focused where we, you know, at any given day, something's going to get missed. Something's going to get dropped. Nobody can have her full attention all the time in every dimension of her life. So what I talk a lot in my work and when I'm supporting families and communities and even organizations is that idea about building and integrating wellness and that idea about life with work integration into To our everyday. Because the reality is our weekends and our evenings are not long enough to repair all of the work that we put on ourselves during that kind of traditional work week. And that's also not even factoring in all of the invisible labor that goes into being a parent and a caregiver, especially for women. And I often talk to, you know, women, especially women who are in professional practice about this idea that the amount of cognitive energy or like mental focus to like hold everyone's life together, essentially to know everyone's schedule, to know who has to go where and and we're always coordinating that that actually takes a lot of energy, that takes a lot of focus. So if we're trying to do that and also doing high important work tasks, like something's gotta give. So one of these ideas that we talk about is really having clarity, Erin, about what are your values? Like, what is it that you wanna stand behind and what matters most to you? And when you know what your values are, that helps provide that clarity to know how to strike that life with work balance. So I can give you an example. Um, so I've I've been working obviously in the academy. And again, I work all over the world with groups. And I recall years ago, um, our youngest, or sorry, Hunter at the time was in grade nine. And he said to me one morning, Aaron, he said, mama, I have a, a basketball game after school. I need you to be there. It's like such a big game. I need you to be there at the end of the day. I was like, no problem. And of course I even was feeling like a little bit like prideful that like my kid still wants me to come to his practice, like to his game, right? Like I was feeling like, oh, I'm doing okay. My teenager still wants his mama around. So I got to the workplace and I told everybody, I'm like, Hey, I have to leave early today. Hunter's has a big game after school. And everyone thought that was great. And when it was time for me to leave Aaron, I was walking out of the office and someone said, Oh, wait, just a second, one quick question for you. I was like, okay. And somebody else needed me to sign something. And somebody else had another question. And by the time I finally got out of the school and got to where Hunter was playing basketball, I got there at the fourth quarter. Okay. So it was almost over, but I felt relief because I thought, oh, I still made it. The game was still going. And when the game was over, Aaron Hunter came to the stands. And the first thing he said to me was, I'm glad you're okay. And I'm like, yeah, I made it. And then there was this pause and Hunter asked me, have you ever been late for a keynote mom? And I'm like, well, no, I can't be late for a keynote. He goes, have you ever been late for an interview or podcast or to teach? And I'm like, no, Hunter, I can't. That's my job. I'm not allowed to be late. And he said, and it wasn't ill-spirited, it was just full vulnerable. He said, but you can be late for me Hmm. when I told you this was so important to me. And Aaron, that was like a picnic table to the face. (laughs) Like my heart broke in that moment. And I realized, I tell everybody my values is family, my faith, my family. And I realized I wasn't living in my values. And so in that moment, I made the commitment to Hunter. I said, Hunter, my new non-negotiable, my new non-negotiable will be because I told you I will be at an event. I'll be there no matter what. I will get there no matter what for the start of it, which now means in practice, Aaron, I walk out of meetings that are still going on if I need to. I end phone calls quite abruptly if I need to, if I've made that commitment to my child. Because the reality, 90% of our jobs, like it's fine, it doesn't get in the way, but that extra little kind of 10% on the end, when that starts to encroach on our children or our family systems, that's when we're going to start to build resentment and frustration and we feel like we're not doing a good enough job. So when I think about life with work integration, it's clarity of values and know what are your non-negotiables. And as long as you show up for those non-negotiables, you're going to be able to get your stride where you get to do all the things, just maybe not at all at the same time.
0: Thank you for sharing that story. I know I can absolutely relate to that. I know so many of our listeners will be able to relate and thank you for giving us permission that we can say no and set those boundaries based on our own values. That Mm. is so refreshing and freeing, I think, Mm. for moms especially to hear that message.
1: Yeah, and I can share with you just one little caveat as well. Now that I kind of, because I I always really struggled with that idea of about boundaries because I found boundaries felt very permanent, right? Like it was like these little walls or these fortresses that we build around our lives. And anytime something came over, I feel like I was failing. It's like, oh, I'm not holding my boundaries. So actually reframing it as knowing my Mm non-negotiables, right? So knowing, okay, what is it that I don't move on? understanding that there's gonna be, we need flexibility, right? So for example, saying things like, you know I won't check my email on weekends, Well, sometimes that's not gonna make sense because I actually need to check my email on weekends. But knowing, for example, my non-negotiable is I don't check any email or work-related things when I'm standing in my kitchen, right? Because kitchen is like the nucleus of our family, where it's the heart, where we have the best conversations, we come together in community. And so just knowing that those certain things, it's like, okay, if I do have to check some email, I'm going to go do it in another space because this space is sacred space because it's for my family. So even those small little micro behaviors can actually start to take some of that pressure, especially for moms love that. Thanks.
0: So when we have established for ourselves personally, for our families, what those non-negotiables are, what our values are, then how do we teach our kids this process of creating their own school life? balance, to help them form
1: these kind of healthy habits. 100%. So one of the things we often talk about, again, is especially for children, because they're still in that stage in between kind of like, you know, that really kind of concrete thinking and abstract thinking and and values are very abstract, right? You can't really measure them, but you use them to guide your behavior. So one of the things we talk about with younger children is character traits, like what kind of character do I want to have? And one of the things, especially for young ones, we talk about is that idea about being brave, right? That we are brave, we'll take on challenges, we give ourselves permission that we don't have to get it right the first time, right? That's one of the things I talk to Amari kids about a lot when they were younger is the fact that like, we don't have to get it right the first time, it's okay that it's going to have to go through that messy middle of learning, right? So even just understanding those characters, that character trait, I think is a, as a starting point. And again, you know, character trait isn't like I'm an A plus student, I'm top of my class, right? That's, you know, that's not really a characteristic. I'm kind. Right. I'm thoughtful. I'm considerate. I'm honest. I'm hardworking, you know, and again, it's okay to still achieve excellence and high performance for our children, especially for some of the ones that are on that trajectory. And again, even those character pieces though, Aaron, about, for example, like I won't be, you know, especially let's say for young athletes, because I know a lot of, you know, persons are exploring that. How do you support a young athlete? You know, that idea, like, yeah, you won't be outworked in a practice, right? Those things where it's like, we take pride in the fact that we can show up and give it our best but our best, we're also going to give ourselves flexibility. It might look different every day. So for example, today, my best might be 60%. Uh, tomorrow, my best might be 20%. And I need to have a tender, you know, a tender day just to honor that lived experience and the ebbs of flows that is just part of the human condition.
0: Oh, that's so good. And again, that's something that I want I want my kids to learn that earlier in their life than I did. So that's, that's a great, that's a great thing to talk to them about. Mm -hmm. Um, And giving, especially, sorry to jump in there too, but especially giving children to
1: permission to like, you know, it's funny because one of the things I, I noticed so early on in my own parenting, you know, is I wasn't giving my children permission to have a bad day. And I didn't even realize it. I knew I had bad days. I still have bad days, but I recognized that I wasn't actually like giving my children the permission and the spaciousness that like some days are just gonna be off. And I felt this kind of pressure that I had to always correct, I always to make sure that you know that a lesson was learned and we're getting back on track versus you know, to be able to say. So, hey, it's today just, you know, today you seem a little bit off today. And that's okay. It's okay to have an off day, which means we're just going to shift our expectations. Now, the running standard is that we respect one another in this house under all circumstances. Even if you're having a bad day, you still need to be respectful of your siblings and your parents. And when you're having a bad day, maybe that means that you know what, maybe you're going to trade off some of your chores to your brother because you just don't have it in you today. And that's okay. Right. So giving them that permission to start to negotiate, how do you manage responsibilities and duties, but also your role as part of the family?
0: That's good. That um, makes me think, I'm sure you can relate to this also having three kids. Um, but there are days when one of my kids is having a hard day and another, one of their siblings will call them on it. Well, mom, aren't you going to, aren't you going to parent that? Like, why are you letting them do that? And saying to them, he or she is having a hard day today and we're just going to give them a little bit of space. Um, and I hope what that does is, show my kids, yes, we're gonna have the standard most of the time, we have expectations, but that it's okay to be flexible with those. It's okay to be kind and it's okay Mm. to do this outside this home too, that we need to allow other people around us to have those Mm. bad days too
1: hundred percent. I can share with you just briefly. I remember when the children were little and I think there would have been like four, six and eight, uh, Ava was in a bit of a tizzy and she was having a rough day. And and then all of a sudden Jack's my littlest one came barreling in and he was upset about something. And she turned to her brother and she's like, listen, mom says only one of us are allowed to have a bad day. I need today. Can you take tomorrow? And Jack's just paused. And of course he was like four. Right. And he was like, oh, okay. And he just kind of like re-regulated himself and just got, of was like, okay, well, and he said, I'm taking tomorrow. I'm going to have the worst day tomorrow. I'm like, Jax, you can have the worst day tomorrow, buddy. I promise mommy will be full on point head and heart with you hands on tomorrow for your bad day. But today is going to be your sister's bad day. And, uh, and again, it's just the, that's, what's so amazing about children is the fact that they, they have this natural, like curiosity and this like play where as long as we don't make everything so serious and so intense, we have lots of wiggle room. Right. We have lots of wiggle room to do redirections and reframes and just
0: allow that little bit of a shift. I love that. That's hilarious. So good. Another key piece of this conversation is helping our kids learn independence so that eventually they're making these healthy choices for themselves as they become adults. Will you give us an example of what parental support versus parental rescue can look like in our everyday lives and how that process can help our kids learn independence?
1: A hundred percent. And this is one of my favorite areas for us as parents to explore because I see, especially working with university level students, I see that, like, I see the outcomes when this isn't done. And what I mean by that is that there's this kind of fine line as parents and supporters that we walk around being a rescuer to our child when they're having challenges versus being a supporter. Now, obviously we want to mitigate risk and danger, right? Absolutely. We don't, if, if a child's in danger, we don't want to like wait and say like, oh, let me see how you can problem solve your way out of the situation. No, we intervene, we rescue, we do what we have to do if our child's in danger. But there's a natural kind of consequence of a little bit of risk-taking in childhood, which is actually really good for us. It actually helps us learn our skill sets, our capacity, and it helps us learn kind of our outer limits, which we definitely want our children to know, especially going into adolescenthood right you want them they they need to know what their outer limits are and so one of the things that we often talk about is are we rescuing our child or our children from situations that instead that we could actually walk along aside them with with that support. So again, understanding when do I rescue and when do I support? And the classic example that we used to talk about in education was there used to be this kind of analogy around helicopter parents. I'm sure you've heard it before where these parents were always on guard and at the first sign of danger they would swoop in and, you know, advocate for their child. Which is interesting because that type of parenting, I actually miss it because what we have now is like what we call lawnmower parents or Zamboni (laughs) parents in Canada and a lawnmower parent or a Zamboni parent gets out in front of the child and removes all of the dangers, risks, all of the stressors. So the child doesn't even know that they were ever once there. So an example would be, I was working with the family and the parent had heard that the teacher, the child was gonna be placed in the classroom in September was a difficult teacher. So before the child even went into that class, the parent advocated to have their child move to another classroom so they didn't have to deal with that difficult teacher. So the child didn't even know (laughs) that a difficult teacher was actually out there because they were always being kind of like led and directed where they wouldn't meet any adversity. And that's not going to serve the child in the long run, right? You're winning maybe the battle of today, but you're going to lose their, you're going to lose the bigger picture, which is going to be when they are independent adults, because they don't know how to think on their feet. We need to cultivate that. So that's kind of one of the things we talk about being
0: that rescuer versus the supporter. So what let's let's look at an example. Let's yeah. talk about in school um maybe our child is having a hard time with the teacher. They they got placed with a difficult teacher. Yeah. They're having a hard time. What what can we do to support our child instead of rescue them from that situation?
1: Yeah, 100%. So I think again the reality is a difficult teacher, you know, learning how to problem solve that when you have your parents and supporters with you versus you being an adult and having to navigate a difficult boss, a difficult colleague, like you got to learn these skill sets. So it's again, thinking about, okay, what's within the scope of our control? What things can we do that are within our control that we have agency to have a positive benefit? You're going to meet difficult people. And, you know, I remember once getting some pretty kind of questionable looks at some of the parent events, because I recall saying to my children, it's like, you don't have to like everybody. You don't, not everybody's, your friend. Not everybody's going to be your favorite and that's okay. And I remember even being at a play group and another mother gasping at just like, (laughs) how horrible is it to you say that? And I said, but, but it's not realistic to think everyone's going to be your friend and everyone's going to get along with everyone. However, we're going to be respectful and we're going to be respectful and we're going to make sure we stay in line with our family values that we treat people respectfully. But that doesn't mean that we have to like love every minute of it and children learning how to embrace difficult conversations, even kind of like difficult dynamics, like classroom teacher. That's not a bad thing when they're learning it in supportive environments versus them never getting a shot, Aaron. And then the first time they have to do that is like with a boss as an adult.
0: Such a great example. Good reminder that it's okay for our kids to encounter some conflict. Yes. Whether it's with yeah. other kids or you know whatever the case may be, that's okay. And helping yeah. them learn how to navigate through that mm-hmm. is an important part of being an adult
1: one day. Hundred percent. And I can share with you just to make it really practical, because as a behaviorist, I want to always make sure people have like capacity to move this theory into action. So one of the ways that we've done this, and I've done it with my family and also families that I support is using this kind of narrative that when a child comes in and is about to tell you about their problem or there are things that they're upset with, respectfully just kind of ask them, okay, just wait a second, pause. I need to know what my role is right now. Do you need me to listen, offer advice or intervene? Ask them, and you can ask young children this. Do you need mom to listen? Do you need some advice right now on how to problem solve this? Or do you need me to actually get involved? Do you need me to intervene? And what that's doing is it's actually empowering those critical little thinkers to actually start thinking, okay, what do I need right now? How do I need to show up? And I can share with you now that my kiddos are much older, there was even a day a little while ago where Ava came home and she said, I had a rotten day at school. I do not need advice. I definitely do not need an intervention. I just need you to know I just like didn't have a great day. And then she kind of went up to her room and then her brothers looked at me and they're like, what does that even mean? I'm like, she just needed us to be kind of aware because she just needs a little bit of space. And I said, she just needs us to listen to her right now. Like she just needs us to listen. She doesn't need us to fix anything. We don't have to solve it. She just needs us to listen that she just had a wee bit of a tricky day and she needs a little bit of space. So asking them, do you need me to listen right now to your problem, offer advice, or do you need me to intervene is a way that we can build capacity for our children to be able to know how to problem solve.
0: So great. As we close out our conversation today, what is the top piece of advice that you want parents to remember about helping our kids become more resilient?
1: It's a big question, oh my goodness. I think what's extremely important that I would want children to know and families to know for their children is to give them that confidence, that the child can do hard things. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is, and I write a lot about this in my book. I write a lot about this in my research about the power of building efficacy and capacity that I can do hard things because we will go to such lengths to avoid discomfort, to avoid looking like we don't have it all together. That We don't like the messy middle. We don't like scary Sundays. Like we go to such lengths to try to have everything like calm and copacetic all the time, but we also need to really remind each and every one of us, even ourselves as grownups that we can do hard things. We do the hard things every single day. And sometimes it just takes a little bit of courage to just kind of get into that first step and the rest will fall into place. Um, so just that little reminder that we can do hard things and we do it every single day. And that's, that's okay.
0: We can embrace the messy and embrace yeah. the challenges. And yeah. in that our kids can learn that as well. 100%. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Robin. This has been such a refreshing and encouraging conversation. I know I've got lots of of great new perspective for my own household and I know our listeners will as well. Oh, thank you, Erin. I wish everybody all the best. For our listeners, find more presentations by nationally renowned parenting experts like Dr. Robin through membership in the Modern Art of Parenting. Visit modernartofparenting.com to learn more about those memberships, which are just $19 a month or $199 for the year with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Join us next time on Raising OKC Kids.